Before we begin, a reminder that nothing on this podcast is intended as a statement of faith, doctrine, or fellowship, and this podcast is not affiliated with any church, school, or calling body. Welcome to the Gird Up Podcast. My name is Charlie Ungemach, and we're glad that you're here. I'll be joined in just a moment by this week's guest, but before that, I want to say thank you to all those who help support the Gird Up Project. All of our content here at Gird Up is available free to anyone anywhere in the world who might benefit from our message, and we want to keep it that way. But we rely upon the contributions of our listeners in order to do so. You will never see any paywalls or exclusive content here at Gird Up. That being said, it does cost money to put a show like this together, so if you find what we're doing here valuable and you're willing and able to do so, please go to www.girdupministries.com, click on the menu, and select Buy Us a Cup of Coffee. That $5 donation goes a long way towards keeping this podcast going, and it helps us reach other men just like you. God's blessings, fellas. Enjoy the show. All right, fellas, the following interview was recorded at the Beats for Heartbeats Music Festival at the Jefferson County Fairgrounds in West Bend, Wisconsin on September 17, 2022. Heartbeats Inc. was established as a nonprofit organization in 2020, but fundraising efforts in the form of an event, Beats for Heartbeats, began in 2019. The mission of Beats for Heartbeats and Heartbeats Inc. is to celebrate the value of every human life through the power of Christ. And this, of course, is accomplished by acting as a conduit to provide support through awareness and fundraising for organizations that aggressively focus their efforts on benefiting abundant life for the most vulnerable. That includes pro-life and pregnancy counseling, foster care and adoption services, combating human sex trafficking, and depression counseling and suicide and euthanasia prevention. If you missed the event, but you would still like to contribute to the Beats for Heartbeats mission, you can donate at www.beatsforheartbeats.com forward slash sponsors. I'll include a link to that uh, Beats for Heartbeats website in the episode description below. Now, while we were there, we had the opportunity to sit down with several of the organizations that are supported by Heartbeats, Inc., and had some awesome chats with them, and you're about to hear one of those conversations right now. We were recording outside on a very windy day, so forgive some of our windiness and background noise and things, but it's a great conversation, absolutely worth the listen. We're going to get into it right now, and remember, we have put links to their website and their social media down in the description below. So we are, <laughs> we're back out here. My name is Charlie Ungemach. Um, Gustav Wentz is with me. Another mic. What's up, Gustav? Hey, nothing much. All right. And then we have the ladies from the Evangelical Child and Family Association. I got Agency. it. All right. All right. Wait, what's that? Agency. Agency. Agen- oh, so close. All right. Well, go ahead and introduce yourselves and uh, tell us what uh, ECFA is and does. Go ahead. All right. Well, my name is Dana Hauser. I'm the Wisconsin District Coordinator at ECFA, and I'll let Doreen introduce herself. I'm Doreen Galden. I'm the adoption worker at ECFA. Awesome. So a little bit of back history about ECFA. We've actually been around a really long time. Um, started in Illinois. Um, the roots of ECFA go all the way go back all the way go back all the way to. 1946 Wow! when a baby was left in a cardboard box on the steps of the dorms at Moody Bible Institute 
Oh, and wow. uh, some local pastors down there realized that there wasn't an evangelical Christian adoption agency, and that's kind of, they decided to start one, and kind of really got going back in 1950. And our, um, the Wisconsin branch has been around since 1984. That's pretty so. Have you ever seen uh, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, the old, uh, like, claymation one? Yeah. You know, or animatronic or whatever they call that? You ever seen that? Came out in like the sixties. It was kind of like the Rudolph one. Okay. Yeah. Well, I that's the, that's how Santa Claus got started too. Yeah. There's is, a baby left. Yeah, the baby okay. Cl- baby Klaus is left on the doorstep of the the elves, <laughs> and then they. So you guys are in good company. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. But so, um, yeah. Like, how does that? I mean, there's obviously a lot of prospects that goes into forming this, a, 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 a what's the word agency out of out of that kind of origin story right so how does i do you do you know much about the history of uh like once the baby's left and then how does that eventually turn into what you guys are today well i know i know back then you know orphanages were a thing and and they're not really anymore and so it was just you know some concerned pastors in the chicagoland area that just got together and said you know we need to do something there's there's moms that you know there's a mom that felt like she wanted her child to be raised you know by a christian family and so she you know th- that step of faith and left her baby there hoping that someone would follow her you know find her and raise her and so um that's about all i know about the origin story but i can um speak very well to what we've turned into today yeah and what is that what, what do you guys do so um in our wisconsin branch we do pregnancy support services and um there's a lot that goes into that we get a lot of referrals from community agencies and usually it's a mom that's in a crisis situation whether she's uh, facing homelessness or an domestic violence relationship or just financially does not feel that she can raise, you know, a baby or another child. And so um, we kind of, you know, talk to her and kind of find out what her story is and meet with her for the first time. And there's usually a lot more to it than what she initially presents with. But we um, just let her know you know we give her information and are just here to support her no matter what you know she decides as far as whether she wants to parent or place for adoption and so um, throughout her pregnancy we're offering pregnancy support making sure she's happy with her medical provider she's getting um, prenatal care making sure that if she needs any um, referrals for community resources regarding housing or WIC or food share just making sure she's um, connected with all those community resources. We uh, are willing to do a Bible study with her if she's open to that, if she's really looking for some hope in her life. And you know, once the baby's here, we um, offer nurturing parenting education. Just a lot of times, you know, um, these crises are, are generational, and a lot of times they feel inequipped to, you know, raise a child or raise another child. And so we're just we're just here to support them, and then and you know we also in our adoption agency, which I'm gonna hand the mic over to Doreen because she's actually been with our Wisconsin branch almost as long as it's been in existence, 31 okay. years. So <laughs> she's the expert on our adoption program. Yeah, so we serve adoptive couples that come in and decide they want to expand their family um, through adoption, and uh, they will fill in an application. They will meet with me to go through the home study process and deciding whether they're going to go with an international adoption, a national adoption, or stay with our Wisconsin domestic program. Um, And I also provide post-placement visits with them that are required by the state 
as well as other agencies that we work with and walk alongside them in the journey of adoption, which is not an easy journey many times. Many, many families are coming from infertility backgrounds and struggling with wanting to have a biological child of their own and not been able to do that. So they look at other options of ways to expand their family. Um, and I really care about my families. I wouldn't be there 31 years if I didn't. Absolutely. They're, they're very mm -hmm. dear to my heart and I, I am grieving with them when they grieve and I am enjoy with them when they are, sh you know, share their joy with them when they're joyful of, with an adoption going through. So I think we are really kind of family oriented. We're, we're a small office. There's only six of us there. Um, I am the adoption worker and then there's one assistant that works with me, which she's a huge blessing to me. Um, but we're small so that we can really give, you know, just individualized care and love to each one of our families that come our way as well as the girls and uh, families through the pregnancy support services. Yeah, so it sounds like uh, you mostly work with the women who are giving up their children for adoption and you primarily work with uh, the young women or the families who are coming to adopt the children. So first, since you have the microphone, we can uh, go just start on that side. What uh, um, generally, like how do people get connected with you? Um, like it's, it's not as simple as just saying like, hey, I think I'd like to adopt a kid. Let's give them a call. There's got to be more to the process. I assume at least there's more to the process than that. Uh, can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah, there is a lot to the process. It is not for the faint-hearted, I will say that, because... Um, many times it's an emotional roller coaster you're, you're, you're going on that you don't even realize. But um, they will hear about us through many different avenues, through other agencies, through churches, through uh, word of mouth, um, that, you know, other couples who've adopted through us many times. And I have many coming back for a second adoption once they've come to us. But the adoption process is kind of, they have to first come to a place of deciding that they want to expand their family through adoption. And like I said, oftentimes that comes through a difficult path of infertility or and grieving the fact that they can't have their own children. Or it could be that they've had difficult pregnancies and just know I can't do another one of these. Or they may just feel the last family I had just, my, our family's not complete yet. We just know that that there's a child out there that needs to be in our home. So then they have to kind of decide on what kind of adoption. Do you want to adopt internationally from another country? Do you want to adopt nationally? And all of these have pros and cons to them. Or do you want to stay domestic and stay within Wisconsin? Um, then after that, they have to research and decide on a local adoption agency to do the home study. Um, and that's where we come in because we provide that service. And if, ad if adopting nationally or internationally, what agency they're going to use for placement. So we kind of got a variety of different kinds of adoptions we're looking at. Then they submit an application um, to complete the home study process with me and prepare a profile book, which is kind of a book about their family, sharing who they are without identifying information in that, but sharing their interests, their likes, their uh, just who they are as a family, what they have to offer a child. Then comes the waiting time, and that's often the hardest because they are either waiting for a referral, if it's an international or national adoption, or if local, we're waiting for when a birth mother that maybe Dana's working with decides, yeah, I'd like to place for adoption, and I'd like to see the profile books of your families that are available. And then usually what will happen is that mother will say, oh, she'll look at the books and maybe say, I think I'd like to meet with this family and this family. 
and then we will coordinate a meeting between all four of us. So I'm there supporting my adoptive family. Dana's there supporting the biological mother. And they'll meet and get to know each other and then decide whether they want to continue on in the journey. And if they do say, which usually is the case, it's amazing how they click a lot of times at that first mm. meeting. And if they say, yeah, we want to go forward, um, then it's developing that relationship and developing a birth plan and deciding, okay, where do we go from here? Um, then we also have to see where the bio dad is at, and that can throw a real wrench in, oh in this whole thing because if he didn't know about the pregnancy or if he is not in favor of placing, he has just as many rights as the bio mom does have. Um, so then if, if it goes ahead that baby is going to be placed in my adoptive home, my parents do what's called a legal risk adoption. That means they're taking the legal risk that the mother could change her mind within 30 days after birth or a father could come in and object to the placement um, before the termination of parental rights hearing. And that is a big hearing in the state of Wisconsin. That's when both parents' rights are terminated and the child officially becomes under the guardianship of our agency, stays in the home that the child's in until the finalization of the adoption. Um, they also have to complete 25 hours of required training for the state of Wisconsin. So, and they have monthly post-placement visits for huh. six months after placement of a child in a home. That is also state required. Now, it's, if it's a national adoption, other states have different requirements for how often those visits are. And is it people from your organization that are visiting, or is it from the government that are visiting? No, I visit. Okay. I'm, I'm with them till the very end, till the finalization of the adoption. And what kind of things are you looking for then when you visit a family that's adopted a child? Well, just making sure the child's in a safe environment, making sure the parents, seeing if the parents have any concerns, if they need resources provided to them or extra help with counseling or anything, because a lot of these kids are coming from trauma backgrounds, and a lot of times they will need some additional help with how to deal with a screaming child that, you know, is just dealing with the trauma of his or her own background um, so also just yeah so looking at how the child's adjusting and how the parents are doing and coming alongside them and supporting them in whatever way possible okay that's awesome yeah what's awesome. Uh, barriers generally um, like when, when, when people are coming to, to um, coming to you and saying we would like to adopt a child what kind of barriers generally stand in the way if it doesn't work out or maybe even what barriers need to be overcome before that happens mm -hmm. there are i would say there are make sure you're talking to your I'm microphone sorry. no no problem uh there are i think a number of barriers first of all adoption process can be long and daunting there's a lot of paperwork medical exam required um, clearances, background clearances have to be done on parents. So there's there's a lot of paperwork <laughs> right off the bat. Financially, you know, especially if you're doing international, I mean, it's not, it is not cheap to adopt a child, unfortunately. And so financially, we, we do provide assistance with helping them with many different options they can look at for, gr for grants and loans and I tap into other adoptive families and places they've gone for help financially. 
And then each journey is unique, but all are on the, some kind of emotional roller coaster. Uh, like I stated, the birth mother could change her mind. The father could object to the placement. That, that's a huge barrier of, of just knowing I'm going into the unknown. And each mm. journey is very unique and different. Then navigating relationships with the bio parents as they go on to establish that relationship that can sometimes be a, a barrier or a fear that they may have. A relationship with the child or with the Child's fam- parents, okay. bio parents, bio, I'm sorry, biological parents. Is that, is that parents. something that generally, because you hear stories on both sides, right, where you have kids who grow up and they don't know their biological parents at all, and then you have families that seem to coexist very nicely. What determines that? And, uh, like, yeah, I don't, I don't know anything about that, so... Um, yeah, I'd, do you want to talk to that at all? I'd say a lot of it is determinant on what the biological mother desires. Okay. I have had a mother give birth in a hospital, and my adoptive family comes in, and she says, I, I don't want any relationship, and I, I just choose not to. I want to just forget about this, um, and we have to re- respect that. Um, now, we'll sometimes still tell our adoptive parents to still still send in monthly pictures and a letter, and we'll keep it in her file because sometimes, maybe even 15 years later, she'll come back and say, do you have anything? I didn't want to know now, then, but I do now. So then we'll have something to provide, and we'll get that relationship possibly going again. Um, other times, we'll help them navigate that relationship appropriate boundaries to set both on the <laughs> biological parents I can imagine parts, that's a challenge as well as um, but but we really encourage open adoption and it's you know when I first started everything was pretty closed and now that we've seen the research on on the open adoption and and how children do so well knowing their roots as well as knowing the family who's raising them and the love between you know that they have from both of them that's a huge benefit to that child so it's been a very positive experience from what I've seen and experienced between birth moms and even birth dads at times um, with my adoptive parents. Usually they'll agree to, I would say if you're asking for the average, that they would be providing monthly letters and um, pictures and maybe meet yearly at a public place. Now some of them will end up seeing that this is such a cool thing that they will be providing their information and getting together at their homes and inviting the biological parents to their child's birthday parties. Um, so I've seen it grow into some really beautiful relationships as well. Cool. Gus, you had some of the... We're, we covered it. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah. You're, good. you're good. Cool. Um, so uh, let's then talk a little bit about um, uh, the other side of things then. All right. So um, when a family or a couple or even um, a mother herself um, decides that she would like to give a child up for adoption, first of all, what is that? Um, how do you guys identify uh, women that you're going to work? Because, I mean, you're, I suppose sometimes people just reach out to you, but I can imagine far more often um, there's some sort of intervention or something going on or a crisis or something. So that I, well, I guess I'm assuming too much. You want to talk, how do you guys get connected to the mothers that you're helping? So um, the one thing I wanted to mention is that I would say um, like right now we've got about 20 pregnancy support clients and about 25% of them are placing and the other 75% are parenting. So no matter... So 
just to make sure I understand, you have of the obviously 100% that are coming to you, 75% don't actually go through with placing a child in adoption. Right. Okay. So um, a lot of our referrals will come from other similar agencies. Um, we are very close to Milwaukee, so that's where primarily most of our clients come from. Um, we I did some outreach when I started back in February to um, make connections with um, other agencies within the community with hospitals and, and things of that nature. And so sometimes we'll get referrals from maybe um, back before uh, Roe was overturned, one woman needed to get an ultrasound um, before she could go um, pursue an abortion. And so there's a few uh, pro-life ultrasound places within pretty close proximity to us. So when we would go there and they would like let them know about our agency to explore other options. And I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with CareNet. They're pretty big nationally. Sometimes we'll get referrals from them. I did go out and reach out to them because I actually have a um, child welfare background of three and a half years. Okay. And, I, and all of our um, employees at our agency have social work training and so an education. And so I went over there and specifically said to them, if you have any clients with really difficult you know, cases or mental health struggles or are involved in the child welfare system, please send them our way. And so that's where a lot of our referrals come from. As Doreen mentioned, sometimes we'll get an emergency call from a hospital from a mother who maybe didn't know she was pregnant, went into the emergency room, got rushed up to OB and delivered a baby. And was wow. and they will let her know, like, you know, what her options are. And we'll, you know, if, if, she, if she mentions adoption, we'll show her a list of adoption agencies. Or maybe she did know she was pregnant and was kind of milling that around. And then once the baby was here, you know, that conversation happened with the hospital social worker. And we'll run out there because it's an emergency call. And we'll show her profile books. And she'll choose a family. And then what's, what's wonderful is some of our relationships with some of our hospitals is that they'll allow the adoptive family to stay at the hospital if the baby's in the NICU, maybe withdrawing from um, substance exposure and things like that. And so there's a variety of ways that we, we get referrals and no matter what, you know, parents are deciding, whether it's they just need, you know, resources or support or they want to explore the option of adoption, we're, we're there for them. That's awesome. It's really, listening to you guys talk, it's very easy to see how much you love uh, the work that you do and the families that you work with and even the kids as well. It's clear to see the passion for it. And that's really cool. Um, when, uh, so like when somebody comes to you, um, I can imagine it's a very difficult decision, right? To mm -hmm. whether or not to, to give up a child to adopt. Or what, what, what verbiage should I use there? We Is say placing for placing, adoption. Place a child yeah, for adoption. The, the terminology we used to be give up and that's kind of has a little bit of a, a negative kind of right. to it. We do let moms know that like you know parenting is is uh, sacrificial and this is probably the most sacrificial thing you could ever do for your child you know it's it's incredibly loving and and that's one of the things I like, like to mention is that uh, after they place we actually offer a year of post-adoptive support and counseling because there's grief and loss that goes along with that for sure yeah okay so when women are coming to you um you said you offer support along the way what does that support look like as they're making that decision is there counseling and things involved or um you, you've talked a couple times about um like flip or not what was the word Prof profile what you, what word you use uh, yeah profile books that we okay. show them of adoptive families that have been licensed through our agency but we tend to we tend not to have that conversation too early on i mean we'll, we can talk about adoption what that process would look like but we tend not to introduce them to a family too early on in the pregnancy because a lot of times 
they're just in a crisis situation and you know it's it's a lot of times it's just helpful for them to know that that's an option like if, especially if they're facing homelessness or they're just like how am I financially going to support another child like that's the thing that was very interesting to me is that all of our moms that have placed within the last six months have other children it was just this one more child like you know my situation my finances you know I I can't parent another child you know and so that I found that very interesting um and so I don't know if I answered your question fully. No, yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. So you're, when they first come to you, it's not, all right, let's get you in the system and, and get this taken care of. It's uh, let's sit down, let's have a conversation and address maybe even the heart and soul issues that are involved in this. Um, and then if we decide, if, if you decide that this is not you, if the mother decides that she would like to place her child, then that process begins. Is that accurate? Yeah, and one of the things they're, they're always very much surprised about is that we have to notify the fathers. A lot of times, you know, they that can, like like Doreen said, can cause some issues um, legally. They they have to be notified because their rights are going to be terminated. So, um, you know, a lot of times they'll be like, "Oh, okay." You know, so we we a lot, a lot of times that's why we kind of wait towards the end of the pregnancy to kind of see how that relationship, like if dad is just, just dropped off the face of the earth, or if we're able to establish a relationship with him and answer his questions and maybe have him meet the family maybe you know help him feel a little bit more comfortable with it and so yeah yeah I and maybe maybe I'm reading too much of this but this seems to be a little bit of in um, maybe it seems like maybe you've had some uh, uh, some experiences where the fathers aren't particularly um, maybe helpful or supportive of the adoption process am I reading that right yes um, I actually can like you know I have a case right now where mom knew like when she contacted us this is what I want to do she's parenting two other children she actually has had an abortion in the past and when she found out she was pregnant again with this baby she had considered abortion again and just could not bring herself to do that again so she's done all three options you know like she's now pursuing placement for adoption and you know we have to kind of ask them you know who father might be and we do let her know like from the beginning that we will have to notify him and they do have another child in common in on this case and so she uh, did notify him that she was pregnant again he did pressure to have an abortion but then when he found out that she wasn't going to um, and she told him that she wanted to place for adoption he felt like she was giving his child away and he is um, you know going to kind of see what his legal options are and so, you know, there's a lot. There's a lot of different moving parts on that case. Uh, yeah, that she's feels like it feels like if you uh, there's, so you want. Uh, we don't necessarily have to, I guess, keep going down this path if you don't want to. But it feels like there's. Uh, it just doesn't make sense to me that you would want to, um, either, keep it, and raise it, or keep him or her, or raise him or her, or abort the child. And nothing in between. Is that kind of what I'm hearing from you in that, this particular case? That maybe? the father? Yeah. I, I think I think there's just a lot of you know a lot of times we have fear, right? Because mm-hmm. we don't have enough information. And so I, I really I'm hoping to reach out to him soon. And and I, I told her I said don't continue to have this conversation with him. You've explained what your desire is, why you've made this choice, and it was a very informed choice. And if he can't accept that, then you say, call Dana. <laughs> and I would be happy to have those conversations with him and invite him to meet the family because she's developed a really, you know, good relationship with the adoptive family that she's chosen. Uh, and then, so one of the, the, the piece, I guess, that we're kind of waiting on in this case is that dad potentially facing some jail time. And so, you know, if he is incarcerated, then 
likely he would be found to be an unfit parent because he couldn't take placement if he even if he wanted to because if he'd be you know facing some significant jail time so does it ever happen that a mother would like to give up the child but the father would like to keep and uh keep the child in the family and raise the child himself did you ever run into situations like that yeah, and, and, and like in this case, and if that were to happen, if the judge were to say he's a fit parent, he is showing that he is interested in raising this child, the mother would, would not give up her rights. She would not have her rights terminated. They would co-parent. Okay. And so that, that's typically Even what would happen. Even if the mother didn't, does a mother have the right to say, I don't want to co-parent? In she, a situation, she does have the right. She, if, she, it, like, if, if a father said, I would like to raise this child, and a mother said she... Uh, would like to give the child up for adoption can the father um could the father just say all right i'm gonna raise him then or does can, does the mother you know what i'm saying yeah so in the state of wisconsin my understanding is that they will not terminate one parent's rights and not the other okay. and so they would go into family court then and there would be like a family court order talking about primary placement and, and visitation yeah, feels, and financial support that feels like there might be some uh other issues that need to work they need to work through right yeah. at that point interesting yeah i guess what what yeah i don't know what i feel like i want to ask you what should i ask you (laughs) you know you know what i mean um like uh obviously i don't i don't know a lot about the adoption process so i'm i'm just very curious about it um so the uh um once a family decides that they're going to place a child um, with an adoptive family, what does the process then look like as far as um, getting? Because you mentioned they get to meet each other and things. Is this uh, is it organized and structured uh, by you guys, or is it kind of put in their own court? Or how does that how does that go about? It's definitely on a case by case basis. So, like I said, we usually wait towards <clears throat> you know maybe like the the end of the second trimester, early third trimester before we're making those introductions um, with the families that they've chosen. And a lot of times, the um, we'll, we'll, in that initial meeting, we'll kind of say, what is your guys' comfort level? Do you want to communicate via email primarily? Are you guys comfortable exchanging cell phone numbers? Um, uh, and so I can give an example. Like a lot of times, um, the adoptive family will go with to those um, OBGYN appointments and the ultrasounds. And they'll sometimes even go out and do activities together in the community to get to know each other better. It, it can look different on a case-by-case basis. And like during sometimes we have moms that are just like, I don't, I want a close adoption. I don't want contact. And so the level of contact is, is based on the comfort level of primarily the biological mother and, and or father. And then the adoptive family, like, cause that's kind of like, where do you where do you want this contact to occur? How frequently? And the the nice thing about us being involved for the year after placement is that if there's ever, ever any like issues or we kind of need to mediate and help them kind of hash out things, like we need to help them set boundaries, we're there to do that. Awesome. Yeah. <coughs> Sorry. Uh, so when it comes to like that relationship between the child and their birth parents and stuff like that, um, that's got to be really weird i feel like so with that being the case i guess what's that does that is that always kind of an ebb and flow type of relationship that goes along with the process like can they opt to change how often they see their parent like how much how much does a child have a say in that relationship i guess is what i'm what i'm curious about well i would say that the primary responsibility falls on the adoptive parents to ensure that that relationship is healthy and safe for the Mm -hmm. child so let's say um you know they had had this agreement that the birth parents were going to see the child this often or 
they had scheduled, you know, things in the and the birth parents didn't show, didn't contact them. That could be damaging to to the child if they knew, like, hey, I was expecting to see, you know, my 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 other mom or dad, and and the other parents weren't following through. And then, so in the state of Wisconsin, the adoptive families are not legally bound to any agreement that is made okay. between the biological parents and the adoptive parents. So that that health and well-being of that child and that safety of that child is the responsibility of their new adoptive family. So if they ever feel that, you know, that relationship, they can set other boundaries. Like when a parent's, biological parent's rights are terminated, they're terminated. They no longer have any rights to that child. Um, so some kind of follow-up with that. A lot of media and a lot of movies like to show that relationship being something that is unfair or not right. You know what I mean? Like a lot of times it'll be the adopt the adopting parents right the ones that do the adoption they're usually the bad guys right and then for some reason it should be okay for the kid to decide whether or not like who they spend more of their time with i yeah, guess it seems like a popular you, cultural yeah culture like can thing you could you speak to that at all like i would say it's probably it's probably fair to say that media doesn't always improperly portray things they like to mm. kind of you know make things more dramatic than they are. I mean, studies and, you know, psychological studies have shown that it is in the best interest of the child as long as that relationship is healthy for them to have a relationship with both their biological family and their adoptive family. Yeah, I wanted to follow up on that. And this is a question for both of you because I think you probably speak to it from different angles. But there's been, and this is one of the ones that I sent you an email too, mm-hmm. is there right now there's a narrative um, that's kind of gaining traction in the States at least that um, it's not a good idea or we shouldn't be placing um, minority children with white families or vice versa, right? Um, and that, I, and I don't, I'm not, I honestly don't know, I, I can kind of, I, I think I can maybe guess where they're coming from, um, but what are your thoughts on that? And um, yeah, yeah what, what are your thoughts on that? I just want to hear what you have to say. I know Wisconsin is codified into law that like specifically for child children that are in foster care that they will not you know be stuck in foster care just because they can't find a family of similar race or ethnic origin that's not fair to that child and so um, for us you know we hope that that's never a barrier we always ask that question of our adoptive families and I can let Doreen speak that to a little more at what their comfort level is of you know adoption um, and that is a question that a lot of our moms will ask a family like if they are meeting with an adoptive family of another of another race and ethnicity they'll ask them what their comfort level is or how they're going to handle um, the child being raised in a, in, a, in a biracial family or some of the, the stressors that that child might experience growing up and so we have those tough conversations and we're helped there to facilitate that so I'll let Doreen talk a little bit about from the adoptive family's perspective. Sure. Right, I'm going to turn you down a little bit for the wind, too, so go ahead and get right in there and yeah, eat that microphone eat if you don't microphone mind. A bit. Yeah, you should go. eat it. Take a bite okay. out of that. <laughs> yeah, then, we can, then we'll get your voice through as clear okay. as possible. Go ahead. Um, as long as my adoptive family is open to a child of another race, and through the home study process, I, f- I feel like they really understand um, what that's going to take and how important it is to uh, keep that child's culture alive within their home. Um, I am, we support that as an agency. Uh, As Christians, race and skin color don't matter. And we've all been adopted as God's children into his family. Um, That includes every race and every color. So I think the most important thing to me as the adoption worker is to encourage that family 
to keep that child's culture alive um, through attending cultural events, through cooking ethnic foods or the foods that they are a part of their culture, uh, celebrating cultural holidays um, with international families. Uh, you know, I've got lots of them obviously adopting a whole different race and culture. I just had a child uh, come home to a family that they've waited five years for from the country of Haiti. Haiti is a country that if you want to adopt from you, you need to plan on waiting. Oh boy. Um, I've had, right now I'm doing um, international studies with Bulgaria, uh, Latvia, Colombia, India, China is currently not traveling, but so I'm having children. The last two placements of mine were international, coming from totally different cultures, and they're doing very well in their home. Now, granted, they're young yet, but I think the family is very well prepared through the home study process as well as through the international agencies they work with that um, require mm. training very specific to race and ethnicity and keeping that child's culture alive and mm -hmm. um, I think biracially locally or domestically we would like to see that child exposed to people they can look up to especially during their identity building teen years um, providing them with opportunities to connect with others of their race is very important to preserve and keep them connected to their birth culture is and, and all of my families know that we talk about that and they're willing to do that yeah. and if they're not if they just feel like hey you know what a full african-american child you know i'm looking out to that child's best interest and to come into a full caucasian community and church and really not a lot of opportunity to connect with their own culture that may not be in the best interest so i don't think we should adopt you know that kind of a child yeah, and I know a couple of families like that where um, I mean they did the best they could and they just it became a challenge because they were in um, communities southern south central Minnesota where there isn't yeah. a lot of diversity and, and it became a, a big challenge for them and you know different families are gonna approach it different ways um, but I, yeah I don't know I it, I just imagine it being very challenging um, so when to what degree is it do you usually find that it's on the mother's side or on the adoptive family side um, where that's more of a concern the hesitancy I'd say yeah. on the biological mother's okay. side would yeah. you agree Dana yeah and you guys then obviously uh, you you kind of coach them in, into some of that too or um, as far as like how to uh, I, I, you, you kind of listed off a bunch of things that you can do to, to help um, but are you so you, you okay here's <laughs> you, you said you, you meet with them regularly for the first six months or so, but then you guys are also there providing support as long as they need it, right? Right. That, okay. Right. Right. So then, like, if for example, if a kid um, was adopted by a family or a child was adopted by a family and they get to be you know fourth or fifth, sixth grade, and this becomes starts to be a challenge, you guys sure. are still there as a as a resource. For yeah, them? and there are so many great resources mm -hmm. um, locally that we can, you know, connect our families with that that has really been expanding and that's that's huge as well there's yeah. so many support groups you know um, and we have our own support group of adoptive families which has been very beneficial uh, so and we also have mentoring like I'll have a family you know that's maybe adopted a biracial child years ago that will 
offer to mentor a new family coming in that has no idea what they're all in for. Right. Um, and that's cool, too, to see that yeah. happen. That's awesome. Okay, well, I've got a couple questions to finish off then here. Um, if somebody is interested in pursuing adoption or looking at, their, looking at their options as far as building their family and expanding it, how can they get a hold of you guys? They can reach us at, uh, I can, do I give our phone number? Yeah, Is that go what ahead. you want? Yeah, okay. and then anything, sure. we'll, we'll make sure we put links down in the, in the um, sure. description below as well. But go ahead. 262-789-1881. You will be uh, answered by either, uh, Jamie will answer the phone, and she's in my area, the adoption, or Sue. Both are very qualified to talk to any any families, and they will direct them directly to either Dana or myself, mm-hmm. depending on what the what they're. Awesome. So that's our phone number. I'll let Dana share. Yeah. So our our website is ecfawisc.org. You can find all the information and links on there as well. Awesome, cool. Um, and then obviously adopted uh, mothers who are. Um, considering uh, placing a child in adoption, can they reach out the same way? Or yeah, they can reach out the same way, and um, yeah, we'd be happy to. I mean, if you know of somebody uh, in your life, or you have someone in your church or in your community that you, you know, a woman that's just kind of struggling with, you know, having a pregnancy that's just kind of, you know, adding stress to an already stressful situation, we would love to meet with her and and talk yeah. with her. And you guys mentioned that uh, abortions, especially international abortions, can be very, very expensive. I guess my first question is, what makes it so expensive? I'm sorry. Adoption. What did I say? You said abortion. abortion. Oh my goodness gracious! I'm sorry. Oh that was, my heavens! <laughs> that's not what I meant to say. Buddy. Okay. <laughs> um, it can be very expensive. Uh, so, jeez, that that's a bad. That was a bad one. <laughs> that's a bad one. <laughs> anyway, okay, so. Uh, it is very expensive. What makes it so expensive, and then how can people support, help support uh, the work that you guys are doing? <coughs> oh boy, here it comes. Yeah, I was gonna say, boy, what makes it so expensive? Well, you know, traveling to the country. Most countries require you to be in the country for two weeks, so that's time off work right there. Um, just mm. plus, there are attorneys involved. There are agencies involved, international. Uh, as well as in country, I mean, there's just there's just a lot of coordination of efforts for international. But you know, I'm I'm finding that there are amazing opportunities to fundraise, and I would say that most of our families are coming from, you know, middle class, um, you know, one income family home. And they are, God is providing in amazing ways. And there are many resources out there. And I give them a lot of those during the home study process that don't let the dollar sign you might see scare you off. Because if that child is to be in your home, God will provide and you will be able to raise those funds. Amen. And I just had a family adopt nationally from another state and raise all of the funds they needed just through one special ministry to um, widows that they got involved in. And that was just beautiful because this widow was helped out in an Mm -hmm. amazing way, and they raised all their funds for being able to travel. Um, So, yeah, I wish it wasn't very expensive. I will say, as one lady told me yesterday, a brand-new adoptive family coming to us that, We've researched all the adoption agencies, and you really are very reasonable. You are one of the cheapest. So yeah. we try to keep our costs down as low as possible um, because we know it's it's an expense. Yeah. But 
And then how can people, if, if somebody listening to the podcast would like to help uh, t- support your the work that you guys are doing, how can they do that? So we, um, the thing we covet more than anything is prayer. Um, we're on the front lines. This is a spiritual battle. And so um, we covet people's prayers for our agency, for our workers, for our mothers, for the adoptive families. And we are a nonprofit. All of the services that we offer to our biological families are completely free. So that takes money to uh, pay our, our salaries and keep the lights on and, and keep the building <laughs> in good maintenance and, and all those things. And also all the free diapers and formula and clothes and, and things like that. So um, yeah, obviously, um, spiritually, we cover people's prayers, but we also um, appreciate financial support as well. Awesome. And if we want to support you financially, how can we do that? You can donate through our website or you can call um, our office, the number that Doreen provided before, if you'd prefer to send your money in via snail mail. Or attend our events for fundraising, which we, we have a really special event coming up in November. It's an auction. And we have all these wonderful items as well as services donated to us. And it's just a fun night of hors d'oeuvres and auctioning silent as well as a live auction. And that date is November 4th. It's awesome. a Friday okay. night, so if you would like information on that. And then also we have a banquet in May, and we do a bike and hike every fall. So there are opportunities for families yeah. to raise funds for our agency through those as well. Very cool. Well, ladies, it was an absolute blast to meet you. You're lovely. Um, it's easy to see, like I said, the, the love and passion that you have for the families and, and kids that you're serving. So thank you for what you do. Um, thank, you, thank you for sitting down with us. I, I'm just yeah. glad to know more about the process than I did. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I've, I've always said I'd love someday to have a bunch of kids that look like me and a bunch of kids that don't. So you might hear from me somewhere. Now. i got to find <laughs> the right girl for that first, though. So there's a few steps in the process before we get there. But thank you very much, ladies, for being on the show um gentlemen if you'd like to support you know how to do that make sure we put all the links down below thanks for listening go be the man god created you to be we'll see you next time oh, that was awesome right. thank, thank you very thank much you. On behalf of all those involved in producing, recording, editing, and distributing this episode, thank you for listening to the Gird Up Podcast. If you'd like to contact us with comments, questions, or suggestions, you can reach out to us at any of the links in the description below or on our website. Please consider supporting the work of Gird Up Ministries by donating on Patreon, shopping at our online store, or making a $5 cup of coffee donation at www.girdupministries.com. Those donations help us make more great content just like this for young men just like you. Make sure you like, friend, follow, and subscribe to Gird Up and all of our guests on your social media platforms and consider leaving a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to the Gird Up podcast so that others can find us and be blessed by our content too. As always, thanks for listening. Now go and be the man that guy created you to be. We'll see you next time.